Last season on the Choosing Sides F1 podcast, we established unequivocally that F1 is the pinnacle of motorsports. We did, but honestly, I was left with more questions than answers, Tony. I'm Tony Cameron Brown, a tech, culture, and F1 commentator. And I'm Michael Costa, comedian from The Daily Show. Join us for season two of Choosing Sides F1. Our F1 102, if you will. And get all of the answers. All of them? Listen to Choosing Sides F1 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Episode 7 of Joe Thomas's Film Room. I'm your host, Andrew Gribble. This week in the Film Room, Joe breaks down 16-year vet and sure-to-be Hall of Famer Dwight Freeney. Freeney was one of the most feared pass rushers in the game for a number of years, collecting over 125 sacks in the regular season and 11 more in 22 playoff games. He also amassed 46 forced fumbles while terrorizing countless offenses. We hope you enjoy this week's film breakdown of Dwight Freeney. Joe, we're dealing with another one of these pass rushers that just kind of hung around the NFL for a very long time. He was well established before you even got in the NFL. Dwight Freeney, who spent a lot of time with the Indianapolis Colts and then kind of bounced around wherever anyone would have him uh, until the end of his career, and he retired the same year you did. Yeah, he was a guy that had already established himself as one of the great players in the NFL even before I got there. I remember watching him when I was in college, going against Jonathan Ogden. I think he had three sacks on Jonathan Ogden. First ballot Hall of Famer, one of the greatest tackles of all time. A lot of people consider him the best left tackle ever. And uh, Dwight Freeney ate his lunch that day. So um, as you can see on the tape we're going to watch, Dwight Freeney got the best of me a couple times, especially early on in my career. And uh, there's no shame in that because he was such a tremendous player, such a tremendous pass rusher basically invented the spin move, weaponized <laughs> the spin move. People had done it before, but nobody had done it like Dwight Freeney. Yeah, so you mentioned they got the best of you. I mean, will you go out and say that this was the, one of your toughest matchups throughout your entire career? Is, does he rank that high? I would say high? no doubt. Yeah. He was one of the guys that always gave me the hardest time that I lost the most sleep going into that game because he did the three things that make you a great pass rusher exceptional. He could beat you inside, he could beat you outside, and he could run you over. If you could do those three things as a pass rusher, you were very difficult to beat because the guys that I loved going against were the pass rushers that were one or two-dimensional. They could either only run around you, or they could only run over you, or they could only beat you inside, but they didn't have those three ways that they could beat you. Uh, He was a unique guy that could do all three. Now, you mentioned the spin move, and if you want to start the the film up now, I mean, we can look at, he, he just unleashes it seemingly is it almost every play that he's doing that? Or like, how often does he use it? And how, how much does that compare to what you'll normally see from a pass rusher? I never did stats on it, but <laughs> I would say that he probably spins 50% of the time. I mean, he did it so much and so effectively um, that actually later in his career, when you started to study him, he did it less, but he saved it for bigger moments in the yeah. game. So you'd see him most of the game, he'd just run up the field, run up the field, run up the field, maybe bull rush. And then all of a sudden it was third and seven. It was one of those gotta have it situations where you really need a sack, you need to get off the field. And he would almost kind of lull you to forget about that was the move that he was trying to set you up for. Whereas earlier on in his career, and I think we're gonna watch some film from my second season, uh, he was doing it almost every play. And I think that's part of what made him great at the spin move is because of the repetitions. 
but he actually was better at it later on in his career when he saved it for those big moments. I mean, isn't usually that, don't you kind of want to see a guy do a spin move? Because isn't the, the key, don't turn your back to the play as, as a pass rusher? Because a lot of guys just can't pull this off, right? Well, a lot of times the reason the spin move was not such a great pass rush move, but it was because as a defensive lineman, when you get stuck, you just kind of spin. Yeah. And a lot of times it was like being a top. You just spin in a circle. <laughs> and as an offensive lineman, you just keep your hands on him. You can keep him in front of you and you're fine. But Dwight actually turned it into like his primary pass rush move where he's going in there and spinning right off the bat rather than making that a counter move. And he also gained ground when he was spinning. We'll watch his footwork here, which is really amazing. Most guys kind of spin in place and are just trying to get your hands down and trying to use that as a counter move. But he was actually gaining one or two yards of ground, and that's why he was so difficult, because he would start here, and he would start spinning, and he would end up way over here, almost on the other side of you. And he did it so quickly that it was almost unstoppable. Now, is, is it hard in this situation where a guy's putting his body all over the place like that, is it hard to not hold? Is that the, the big issue with, with him in, in that regard? You know, the thing that made the spin move tough is because typically as an offensive lineman, you're taught to put your hands on the guy and then you're going to kind of control him and maybe you'll take one hand off or take the other hand off, but you're kind of controlling him with your hands. But when somebody spins, if I've got my hands on him here, all of a sudden now his back is turned and I've lost the ability to keep my hands on him. And some coaches will teach you to just kind of fire your hands like this, but you can't do that fast enough <laughs> to be able to hit all the different surfaces that are facing you. And as an offensive lineman, you're trying to hit the nearest point, whatever it is, whether it be the pec, the shoulder pad, the forearm, the bicep. And all of a sudden when he's spinning in a circle, that nearest point is changing so rapidly, you can't move your hands quick enough. So what I learned by watching film and breaking down Dwight Freeney and the other guys that would spin and watching just countless hours of his technique was instead of trying to put my hands on him like this, I would actually just catch him, just mm -hmm. hold. And so the key to defeating the spin move was first where your feet were and where your shoulders were. You wanted to make sure that your feet um, were nicely spaced and they didn't, you didn't get your weight out over your toes, but also you'd use your inside arm when that spin move came to actually catch the spin move because if you go like this when somebody's spinning at the beginning you have his back but he's actually going to turn and end up facing you again and so when you catch him with your inside hand you're going to actually end up having your hands right in perfect position right in that uh, shoulder pad and pec area so it's almost kind of opposite of how you'd block a normal guy and it took playing against him a little bit and watching a lot to kind of break the code on the spin move and then what you ended up doing the entire game was just waiting for that spin move because as soon as you tried to block him normally where you'd turn and try to put your hands on him, that's when the spin move came. And if you weren't expecting the spin before it happened, you couldn't react fast enough to block it. So if you remember through all these matchups, and you mentioned how he got the best of you a few times, was it on the spins or was it on the other stuff that he was doing? Out there? Never beat me on a spin move because yeah. my philosophy when I was playing the position was and this is something you hear from a lot of great players, but you hear from the Patriots all the time. You hear about their strategies always. Take away what the team or the player does best, make him beat you with their second or third option or down the line. And so with Dwight, I was going into the game, he was not going to beat me with a spin move because mm -hmm. the surest way to give up a sack fumble was to give up a spin move because it's basically you're not blocking him anymore. It's an air ball. It's a whiff. 
when somebody gets a successful spin move. Whereas the other pass rush moves, they're getting a sack, but your body's there and they may get just a hand on the quarterback or they may push you into the quarterback, but it's not a clean hit. A spin move a lot of times was a clean hit and that's why we saw the sack fumbles throughout his career. Right, yeah, I pulled it up here earlier. I think he had about 47 forced fumbles throughout his career. I mean, that's like an insane number. I think a good season for a pass rusher is about, is about three. And he was averaging, you know, just a, a, a good chunk over the, the heart of his career. And, and in this matchup, this is him probably in his prime. I mean, right in the middle of a, a 15, 16 year career, this is right smack dab in the middle. Yeah, I would say he was definitely in his prime here towards the beginning of my career, probably, you know, you're seven, eight, nine. That's when he had speed, the power and the quickness still. Yeah. If you want to go over what, what he's doing here and, and, breaking that down and, and kind of explaining just what you're doing to try to just stop. Yeah, so you can kind of see when you slow it down here, like I mentioned, the entire game, every time I lined up against him, I was thinking to myself, don't get beat by the spin move. Yeah. Because like I mentioned, if you weren't thinking it before it happened, you were not fast enough to respond. So when you slow it down, you can actually see my right hand is catching, like I talked about. I'm not punching that inside hand. I'm catching it. I'm waiting for that spin move to happen so that I'm in perfect position once he does make that full revolution to be able to catch and keep my feet in front of him. Whereas if I was trying to punch that inside hand or place that inside hand on his shoulder pad like most coaches would tell, he would have beat me. He would have slipped off inside of me and he would have got his feet beyond me. And then I think it was on the uh, next play here coming up where you didn't allow a sack but it was the bull rush that he was able to get you on. And, and if you can kind of break down what you were doing there and how, how that ended up happening like that. So the challenge when you're sitting on the spin move, and I'll, I'll say sitting on the spin move is because you're keeping your weight on the inside of your stance. You're keeping your inside hand free to kind of catch. And, and what you don't want to do is let your weight go outside and kind of get your weight over your toe. But what happens is now you're kind of sitting back on your heels, which makes the bull rush so much more susceptible because you're sitting backwards. That guy's running full speed and he turns into a bull rush. Now I'm sitting backwards. I have to react after he's already made contact with me. I have to change my posture and where my weight is distributed from being on my heels to now being forward. And then I got to anchor my feet quickly in, in the ground as quickly as I possibly can to stop his momentum. And so that's why the combination for Dwight was so deadly because he had that spin move that if you weren't playing for it every single snap, it was going to beat you. But he also had the power and the speed to be able to run you over or run beyond you. And I was always a good enough athlete that he was never going to be able to run around me, but he was so powerful and he was low. Like he was 265, 270 pounds in his peak and he was six feet tall. So he was short and squatty, he had these big, strong thighs. So he was an extremely powerful guy that made uh, a living on the bull rush. And, and this is one of those ones, like you mentioned, you can see I'm kind of sitting on the spin move right here, trying to keep my inside hand free, keeping my, the weight on my inside foot. And he just comes with the bull rush and he's able to affect the throw. Now the pass gets completed. So everybody in the stands is clapping, going, yay, first down. <laughs> and they don't notice that their left tackle screwed up and he gave up a pressure because, uh, as you can see, Dwight Freeney, the, the difficulty for an offensive lineman is we have to play in balance. We have to play sort of in between our heels and our toes with our feet in the ground, a little bit more of an upright posture because if we lean forward, we're going to get snatched and we're going to yank to the ground. Defensive linemen don't have that problem. I can't grab him and just yank him and throw him to the ground if he's too far forward or if he's too far back. So you'll notice the posture, the, the angle between his hands, his face mask, 
his spine and his heels, which is how you create the most amount of power. You put all those things in one line and you're linearly making the most amount of power that your body can possibly create. Think about pushing a car out of a ditch. Like if you ever grew up in the Midwest and snowy country and you get a car in a ditch, what, you're going to get into that position like this, right? So you're trying to push that car out of the ditch. You're trying to get that spine, those hands, and those heels in a line because that's your power. And, and you can see the posture. Look at that. He's got I, don't a have, I don't have a, a laser pointer here, but if you made a line between his hands his face mask, his spine and his heels, that's in one line. And he's at about a 45 or even a sharper angle. If I wasn't there, he would fall flat on his face immediately. But because as a defensive lineman, they have that advantage because they're the aggressor, he's able to create so much more force and power. He's running full speed. He gets his body into that angle. He puts his hands in my chest and he's able to push me back into Derek Anderson and affect the throw. Thankfully, Steve Hyden was open for the quick check down and we live to play another day, and we don't have to sweat it out too much, even though I did get pushed back right into the quarterback. I know it might be a little bit of a sore subject. I think it was later in this game. He got to you, gave it the fumble, and I think it ultimately decided the game. I mean, is that... It did. And it, I pulled up an article three years later. They were yeah. still asking about this. I mean, was that... Is, is that something when you're a tackle, do you think about that year, years later when you match up with him again? Um, I think I did think about it. I, I know that um, my technique had changed a great deal from... This is my second season to right. when we saw him again. And Dwight Freeney's the best pass rusher in the NFL. And I think when I graded this game out, I was in the high 90s, which was a really good grade. Yeah. But as an offensive lineman, we're not judged by our percentage of good plays. Now, maybe in our meeting room we are. Mm -hmm. Oh, hey, Joe, you were a 93. You had the best game. Then Alex Mack, you were a 90. Uh, Kevin Schaefer, you were 87, whatever. But in the eyes of the sports writers and the fans right. and your teammates, it's that one or two plays that you gave up the sack fumble that lost the game for your team. And so that's the challenge of being an offensive lineman. It's it's not the 69 out of 70 plays that you were great. It's that one play that you did get beat. Well, and then for, for Dwight, it could be he could have had a terrible game and had one play that makes all the difference. I mean, that's the, the total opposite worlds that you're living in uh, with a pass rusher. Yeah, I work with Willie McGinnis, who's a former teammate of mine in yeah. Cleveland. I work with him on the NFL Network, and I always give him a hard time because I say, you know what, you're going to go to the Hall of Fame if you get one good play a game yeah. as a defensive lineman. <laughs> you have one sack a game during your career, you might be one of the greatest ones of all time. So you could take 69 plays off, and if you get that sack on third and long and you win the game, you're going to be the player of the game. They're going to give you a game ball. And nobody's going to remember that I pancaked you 69 times and I embarrassed you and I, and I uh, shoved my hands in your face every single play. They're only going to remember that one good play you had. And so I think that's the kind of mentality that you have to build as a lineman. It's, it's, you can't take any plays off. You really can't take one play because you don't know when that one play is going to be the play where he gives you that bull rush and he knocks you into the quarterback and he makes that sack fumble that changes the outcome of the game. Now, a pass rusher as good as Freeney in his prime, is he just as tough in the fourth quarter as he is on that first play of the game? Is he tougher? I mean, how does that, how, how does he so maintain So a lot of mode? times with pass rushers, especially more recently in the NFL, they're not four down guys anymore. What they like to do is when it's first and second down, when it's those obvious, more obvious running downs, they're taking him off the field and they're resting him because those coaches are smart. They realize that as a defensive lineman, you're less impactful in the first half than the second half. 
So they want those guys fresh in those big moments in the game. They want them ready to jot off, off the sideline after drinking water and being fresh on third and long in the fourth quarter. They want those guys fresh rushing the passer when the game is on the line. And so I think those great pass rushers, especially more recently, are their best at the end of the game because that's the way coaches have designed it. Yeah, and for Freeney, he was essentially a pass rusher for hire at the end yeah, of his career. Yeah. And he he played maybe, what, 15 snaps a game throughout throughout the rest of his career, but he was still getting those numbers that he got up there. I mean, what what did you see from him as, as his career kind of progressed? And you were getting better, but maybe yeah. he was on, on the downward side. Then. Yeah, one thing I saw, and it's natural for all guys, is you lose a, a little bit of speed and quickness when you get a little bit older in the NFL. So in year 13, 14, 15 for Dwight, he wasn't running around guys like he used to. When he was a younger player, he was so fast. He was running a 4-5 or, or something like that as a 270-pound player. And so he could just run around guys. And that really set up the spin move a lot because you'd get guys that, as a tackle, all of a sudden he gets a good jump. And you have to literally almost turn and run to try to catch up with him. And as soon as you turn your shoulders, now, now he's spun and beats you to the <laughs> inside. Because, like I mentioned, the way you beat the spin is you keep your shoulders square to the line of scrimmage. And you're moving backwards as fast as he is moving forward, but I'm keeping my shoulders parallel to the line of scrimmage and I'm saving myself with that inside hand for that when that spin move happens. But as soon as I have to turn and open up, it's deadly. And so I think later on in his career, he wasn't able to hit on the spin as often because he couldn't threaten you up the field. But that's why he did it more selectively. You saw him just bull rush and just sort of casually run up the field almost. Uh, way more often and save that spin move for those big moments. I remember watching him on one of the national TV games and he was playing for the Cardinals, maybe year 15 or so, mm. and he had the sack fumble to win the game against a pretty good left tackle at the time. And it was one of the only times during the game that I saw him pull out that spin move, but he was just waiting for that right moment to lull you to sleep before he beat you inside. Now, you basically credit him with inventing this move, and, and if that happens, then there's obviously going to be people that try this. I mean, why, why, can't, why, why don't more people do this, and why can't they do it as, as good as he does? That's pretty, pretty challenging. It's how he does it. Obviously, the, the get-off is exceptional. I mean, you look right here. Get-off is how quickly he gets off the snap. When you look at both... Robert Mathis and Dwight Freeney have moved, and nobody on the offense has moved a muscle. And they've almost already taken a step. So they're threatening you already up the field with speed. They're forcing you to get out of your stance and turn your shoulders, which is what opens up those spin moves to the inside. But then when you watch his spin move, we'll break down his footwork, which is really what has separated him from other guys that have tried to spin. This is what I would say the spin move looked like before Dwight Freeney, right? He kind of goes up the field. It's kind of a secondary move. It's not exactly what he was going to first, but I would say it's kind of a counter move. Not that tough. I guess if you were falling asleep, he could get you on it. Mm. That's what most spin moves look like. So this is what has separated Dwight Freeney from everybody that tried to spin move before him. He's setting it up, first of all, when he starts with his first three steps. It looks like he's going to run up the field. Mm. He puts this inside hand in the air just like he's going to chop and he's going to rip and run up the field like he always does. And from that moment, everything looks the same until he puts his left foot in the ground. And we'll notice, hopefully I can slowly go forward. Yes. Watch his left foot as it turns. 
he has taken his fourth step and his left foot is almost facing back down to, to his own end zone. Mm. So he has taken that foot from running in this direction, which is towards the quarterback, and he has turned it almost 270 degrees. He's pivoted with that hip socket, and he's moved it almost 270 degrees, which right now it doesn't really do anything for him. But when he takes his next step, he's able to gain ground. He gains more than one yard of ground inside and towards the quarterback with the following step because of how much he pivoted that fourth step with his inside foot. So now he's able to spread his groin wide, gain a yard, a yard and a half of ground to the inside, and by gaining that ground and that distance, he's now put himself from being in front of the tackle to being on your inside hip pocket. And that's what separated him because he's not spinning in place anymore. He's spinning and gaining ground towards the quarterback. Not only is he turning his back to you and getting his hands, getting your hands off of him, but he's gaining ground towards the quarterback. He's never stopping moving and making progress towards the quarterback. Now, I know this is a unique move for a unique guy. I mean, are there any comps for this for, for Dwight right now in the NFL? You know, Robert Mathis was excellent with the spin move when they, they played together. And I can only imagine what they did in practice. In the individual, they had to just stand over there and just spin <laughs> like tops. They had to be so dizzy by the end of the day. A bunch of whirling dervishes out yeah. there. But it was uh, incredible because even today, I don't think I've ever seen anybody that spins and gains as much ground as quickly as Dwight Freeney. He is almost like when you look at a hammer thrower in the Olympics. If you've ever seen a hammer thrower and the way that they spin so quickly that's almost how quickly Dwight spins. When I think about a guy in today's game that pass rushes and that has a great spin move, I think of Von Miller. But even Von Miller, as quick and fast and explosive as he is, doesn't gain as much ground and doesn't keep his speed through his spin move the way Dwight Freeney did. Now, did you guys talk much on the field? Is he much of a talker out there? I don't think I've ever said two words to him on That's, the field. Is that, was, is, that, is that more common than not between a left tackle and pass sure. rusher? I can only remember talking to two guys, really, dis distinctively throughout my career. Terrell Suggs, because he talked to everybody. Yeah. He was just a guy that had a lot of energy. He loved to talk. And James Harrison, occasionally I would tell him a few choice words about when he would fake that I was holding him. Yeah. And he would flop. And I would, uh, I would yell at him for that. But other than that, there's really not a lot of conversation. There's not a lot of time for it. First of all, I'm tired. You know, <laughs> It's not an easy job. Second of all... They're trying to get back to the huddle quickly because they've got the next call. A lot of times as a defensive lineman, you're chasing the football wherever it goes. As an offensive lineman, I'm following the football, but I'm not chasing it to be in on the tackle. I'm following it in case there's a fumble. But as a defensive lineman, there's just not as much interaction with them because they've got a different job. They're vacating the space as soon as the ball gets moved down the field, and they're going back to their huddle. I'm going back to my huddle. You know, occasionally when there's a dead ball, you get an opportunity to talk. But I was trying to save my energy for the next <laughs> play. I wasn't worried about talking trash to anybody. Now, I mentioned earlier, you retired March 2018. Dwight retired April 2018. In a way, if everything works out, you guys could go into the Hall of Fame together. Would that be kind of symbolic? Would, would that be kind of kind of neat to, to be in the, in the same class? You know, it would be pretty cool. I actually did not know when he retired, and potentially we're eligible the same year, so that would be pretty cool. Like I mentioned, I think he's one of the greatest pass rushers of all time. You think about 
revolutionizing the game with his spin move and what he did for such a long career. First ballot Hall of Fame, no doubt. If you've missed any of our episodes, log on to clevelandbrowns.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, join us as Joe breaks down former Ravens great turned Arizona Cardinal Terrell Suggs. For Joe Thomas, I'm Andrew Gribble. Thanks for listening.